calling out to the Atascacita community. It's time for your Atascacita Library advanced copy. Get your notes and news now. Hello, Atascacita community. It is July 24th, 2021. This is your advanced copy. Be sure to finish up your reading for our summer reading program. It ends August 7th, so do that reading, log your books online by time or titles, and as soon as you earn that first 100 points, 200 points, or 300 points, stop by the library for prizes while supplies last. Some things are getting rarer, like our animal hats and our stuffed animals for the kids on levels 2 and 3. In this episode, Darla, Kimberly, and I got together to discuss books into movies. Hi, I'm Darla, and I'm here with Beth and Kimberly, and we're talking about movies that hit the mark and movies that miss the mark on book adaptations. So we make it very passionate about some of these things. So if this is your favorite book uh, adaptation, or, you're, or you hated this, sorry in advance, I have to go with the, I'll go with the passionate one, uh, Inkheart. Inkheart is an amazing book. It's an amazing audiobook by Lynn Redgrave. And then the movie. Okay, I need to jut in right there for just a moment. Paul Bettany makes every scene better. Go oh, ahead. Yes. Oh, yes. And he was well cast, I must say. He was well cast. And uh, especially if you ever listen to the audiobook series, the first audiobook, like I said, Lynn Redgrave is wonderful. They should have gotten Paul Bettany to do the second one. Here, here. Because they had Brendan Fraser because he was, you know, he was Mo in the movie and he's the star. And unfortunately, his kind of semi kind of Cockney accent sounds just like French Cajun. And I was like listening to it. I can't. I can't. I couldn't listen to the second book on audio. And I, I allowed it because I had to get it in a special format. And no, he ruined it. And then he did, you know, they actually released that before he did the first Inkart movie. And then it came out and... The character he plays is so different in the book than the movie that it ruined it. It's the one of the main characters. And, you know, he wasn't the right age and his personality didn't match. But like I said, the supporting cast was wonderful. Mm-hmm. It was it really was wonderful. And I was like, it was if they'd gone with like an all English cast or if they'd done something else, it probably would have there's so many wonderful actors out there. There were so many people I could picture as Mo. And when you're cast kind of against the type in the book find some way to make that character relatable and likable in the relationship with your child. And boom, it was just sad. Right there with you on that one. It didn't seem like he and the young lady, that relationship just didn't click for me. And he was a single father raising a child and they had a really close relationship and the whole thing with the books and everything. Yeah, it just, it just fell really flat. And I was so sad because I loved it. And... It was just wah wah. So as for good ones, great ones, I really love The Fault in Our Stars. Uh, they kept very accurately with the book. Uh, there was a lot, you know, all the it had a huge fan base, and so when you have a huge fan base, sometimes what happens is people are like, "But you left out, and you left out." I mean, there were small details in the book that showed up in the movie that was like, "Oh," and then there were things like um, Laura Dern plays the mother, and I'm blanking on the mom's name. Sorry. But she, she plays Hazel Grace's mom. And there's a whole line in the book about, you know, once you're gone, I will no longer be a mother. And in the book, it was kind of sad. But when it came out of Laura Dern's mouth, and I'm in the movie theater, I lost it. I boohooed. Because you feel for the mom in the book. But when she comes to life, and Laura Dern was so wonderful as her, 
then you feel it. You really feel it, and you feel... And the acting, I thought, was superb. The casting was done really well. And you, you know, you were engaged with these people. And so I thought that was a very good adaptation. I, of course, brought, like, boxes of Kleenex with the people that I came with because it is very (laughs) sad. And that's interesting, which is kind of separate from our discussion. But for her to say that even when her child is gone, she's no longer a mother. I wonder how women who have lost their children, which guys, I haven't, so I can't, I can't really express this well, and I apologize, but they're mothers. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder how, and I'm sure there are women out there who watched the movie, who heard that line, and what that line did to them. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen the book, guys. I just, that's why I'm reacting to this moment that she brought up. The Hazel's reaction to that was, you know, you you will always, you know, you've always been, you know, you will always be my mom. So I think she was, the character was shocked by her mom saying that. Mm, And, but her mom had spent like her whole life taking care of her because she had had a long-term illness, a terminal illness. And so I think she'd spent so much of her life. In, you know, doing this. Okay, she, so that, she saw her life yes. as one particular role, and that and role, role was gone, and she just happened yeah. to name it mother. That, yeah, and that's okay. what she felt that, you know, when this journey was over, then what was she going to do next? So she felt uh, guilty. In the, in, okay. in the book and in the movie, you see the guilt that she feels because she's actually taking class. She's actually preparing herself for life after this role as a caregiver. Gotcha. Okay, that's so, I get that. <laughs> I, understand, I understand it now. Thank you so, for yeah. the clarification. Yeah, I think she's kind of pre- she's preparing herself for life after being a caregiver and feeling guilty that, you know, she is preparing for this life. And that what is going to be, you know, what does she say when people say, do you have children? Mm-hmm. Well. You know, so I think it's it, she portrayed the grief really, really well in the conflict of, you know, she felt guilty for going, taking night classes or taking, she was taking, I think, maybe night classes or online classes while she was, you know, taking Hazel around to different things. And I think she felt, you could really tell that. And on the page, it was, it was there, but you tend to, you know, think about the main characters more. Yeah. But having this person come to life and also. Well, as you're thinking of name, I'll just, yeah, yeah. Laura Dern is just a fantastic actress and and she just elevates everything. And it was very faithful. Like you said, even the minor characters were all really faithful. William Defoe, William Defoe. Oh. Man, you hated him in the movie. And it was good because you should yeah. you should really want to punch him. So it like I said, very well very well adapted A plus. Something that's similar to that is five feet apart. It's mm-hmm. very similar to YA uh, characters are uh, suffering from a fatal disease. Very similar book to movie adaptation that I felt was very faithful to the book as well. So I won't talk much about that particular one. But if you like Fault in uh, in My Stars, you would like that one too, probably. So I'm going to talk about what I felt was a good adaptation, but wasn't actually very faithful. Captain Blood was a novel by Raphael Sabatini that came out in 1922 and then was made into a movie that came out December 28, 1935. And the reason I remember that is because the longest time I kept saying the movie came out in 1936. That's only because it came out December 28, 1935. It might as well have been 1936. Anyway, Captain Blood the movie starred Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. It was the first time that they were paired together and they had done several movies after. But the adaptation from book to movie... Even though it wasn't faithful, it is the 
only book adaptation where it made sense, where the things that they cut and the adjustments that they made to the characters, like taking one character's role and then placing it on another character that was already introduced, made perfect sense because the book is Captain Blood, his odyssey. So it goes through like several small stories as he's adventuring and his growth and his change as a character. And honestly, you don't need in a movie a cast of 60, you know, you can remove those. And it it made sense. It wasn't like, let me take what this character did, put it over on this person who would never have done this. No, it was, it fit into their persona. It fit into their life story. So, and it's actually a really fun book too. So if you like classic literature and all the problematic things that come up with the way things were written back in the 1920s, just Mm -hmm. fair warning there. But it's actually a really fun book as well. And of course, I'm an Errol Flynn fan, and so I loved the movie. So that was, that's the one that the adaptation wasn't straight one for one, but it made sense. I liked that one. The one I didn't like, and I think it's kind of everybody's favorite Peter Jackson movie to basically just stomp on, was the adaptation of The Hobbit. The Hobbit yes. is... It's not three movies. At most, it's two movies. But it really can be done very well in one. It's a very hero story. Absolutely the hero's journey. If you're familiar with Joseph Campbell, the book is fun. It's inventive. It's a little silly. It's dangerous. And it's witty. I mean, just read the section where Gollum and Bilbo are having their riddles in the dark. And it's amazing. Peter Jackson decided he needed to let everybody know what else was going on at the time. We didn't. We, we really didn't need to know. <laughs> Some of Peter Jackson's kind of quirks are fun and interesting. They worked really well in The Lord of the Rings, but they didn't work well when he was trying to do things by making the brown wizard humorous. He was a kind of a goofy guy anyway in the books. You didn't need to add weird stuff like, you know, a bird pooping on him. It just added absolutely nothing to the story. So that's my good Captain Blood, my mm, missed the mark, The Hobbit. So I'll start with my negative. I am a self-professed twi-hard. I absolutely love the Twilight series by Stephanie Meyer, and I always will but the movies are problematic. For example, I was just telling Beth the other day how much I enjoy reading the book every year, and there's a line in the book that says, and so the lion fell in love with the lamb, but when you see it portrayed on the screen, it's cringy. It's awful. (laughs) Because teenagers would not say that ever, even 107-year-old ones, I think. So it, it, that's problematic for me. I think the main problem I have with the Twilight movies, and I would probably say most people would agree with me, is Kristen Stewart is awful. She is a terrible actress. She acts exactly the same no matter what movie she's in. She has the exact same expression. She never smiles. She doesn't portray anything. And for a while there, she was the highest paid actress in Hollywood, and I absolutely do not understand why. 
So I don't get it. You and me both. I, I don't get it. She's awful. Particularly in the last movie, they there was a huge deviation from the books to the screen. The whole book series, there's a character who can see the future, except when she's in the presence of certain characters. And in the last movie, this whole battle scene happens... And it's not possible because of this relationship. And it, it upset me so badly watching that that I started to, like, cry. And I cried so hard from the, like, 20 minutes before the movie ended during this whole sequence from the drive home to drop off people at their cars and all the way back to my house. So that was, like, a good 35 minutes so of crying. You cried because you were so let down by the yes. movie? It was, it was so... Not expected. Oh, okay. Because this really amazing, happy, great character was killed off. Oh, he was okay. killed, and he's not supposed to die. And then it didn't end up being the case. I'm, I don't want to give it away if you haven't but read they, or seen it. They did it just because they want to have something a little different. Yeah, a little more action. Because everybody had read the books by then. They knew how it was going to end. Right. And they did this. And there are actually videos on YouTube of people just screaming when it happened. And I was like... And it was extremely gory and unnecessary. Yes. Well, here's my thing about that. Why would they say, oh, everyone's read the book, so we need to change it? When, hello, just the example I just gave a moment ago, yes. Lord of the Rings. We know what happened. Exactly. And they didn't change it. They just represented it really well. And yes. we loved it. Well, you watch things over again, and it still feels the same. It's like they could have done that. And and I, I got I've got to add my own thing about that movie series the very especially the last episode CGI baby <laughs> CGI baby oh my Ooh, goodness no, no, no. yes no. it was I think it, it's technically the next to the last one now the animatronic one was even yeah, worse yes you look up that the animatronic was worse but the yeah the CGI was like horrifying just to explain very briefly because. Beth has not seen it. I have not seen it, and I'm perfectly okay with them spoiling it for me. <laughs> right, okay. I will never see it, but I won't let them so spoil if it, gets it for cut, you guys. It's not that big of a deal. Oh. Yeah. So essentially, there is a baby who grows very quickly. Yes, I know about yes, her. Yes, okay. okay. So they were afraid they wouldn't be able to get a baby to act and grow CGI-wise that would look right. So they started by using this robotic animatronic doll. That is never good, guys. It, it was not good. They have cuts. They have, like, cut scenes of them trying to act with this doll, and it looks like Chucky. It looks, it <laughs> it's looks like awful. something out of your worst nightmare. Yeah. Okay. It's horrific. So I think that the CGI that they did do was okay-ish mm -hmm. because they were never gonna get a really good... I think that the representation they did from the, the real actress who plays the older child, uh -huh. I think they used her baby photos and kind of progressed it up. Gotcha. And they but projected it onto this other baby actress, essentially. So here's a question, right? Okay, so part of your, your issue with the books to movies was a, a scene that, or a person that went that should not have gone, yeah. and then the CGI. And, and I'm just saying the ones that you've spoken on. So here's my question for you. Do you want them to remake it? No. Really? No, it's okay. Let's just let it be. Okay. Unless they want to do Midnight Sun. <laughs> yes, do Midnight Sun. I'm okay with that. Let's do that with somebody who acts better than Kristen Stewart. 
Gotcha. Well, okay, so would you would you keep Robert Pattinson? I think he's aged too much. Okay, and Robert Pattinson so like, is exactly my age. Right. Like so two they need to apart. recast the whole thing yeah. and yes. do just Midnight Sun. Just Midnight Sun. Gotcha. I'm okay with that. I've always said some book adaptations like Harry Potter. Sunday should get the masterpiece theater presentation because <laughs> there's so much that was left out. Like certain all. things. And Debbie and I used to, or one of our former car workers used to joke about, you know, 20 years from now we'll have Masterpiece Theater presents Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and have this whole thing because there's so much that got left out of the books because they had to. They couldn't do, you know. But I have to say, on that one, I think the casting was really well oh, yeah. done, Absolutely. particularly yes. for Harry. It's going to be really hard to match Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Yes. And find someone who can do as well as he did. I already, I mean, I always had a problem with, of course they had to recast Dumbledore, but I didn't like the interpretation that, um, and I know this oh, actor's name. Michael and, Gamboni? Thank you. I didn't like his interpretation. He's a fabulous actor. I've loved him in other things. I disagreed with his interpretation, and that's just me. I mean, he's not going to come around and ask me, hey, by the way, what do you think I should do with this particular scene? <laughs> um, he's going to make his choices. I just felt that he could have carried on with Richard's, the way he had chosen to portray him. I think he could have carried on with it and still done his own kind of twist. Well, no, you'll never find the supporting cast, someone, you know, yeah. Maggie Smith. Holy cow, yeah, can't no. You can't replace Maggie Smith. and um... But the problem is Emma Thompson's already in the movies. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I could see her doing McGonagall, can't you? That's true, yeah. yeah. I mean, if they did like a Masterpiece Theater, if they redid movies, she could, I think she could do it. Yeah. yeah. Not that she'd be Dame Maggie Smith. I'm just saying that I think she could bring the gravitas and the wit to it. Yeah. So the other one I was going to talk about with a positive you know, discussion is Gone with the Winds. I know it's got some troubling things in it as well because it was written in the, I guess, the 1920s as well. And the movies came out, or the movie came out in like 1939, I believe. I absolutely love that movie. And I am not somebody who typically enjoys classic movies or books. I ended up watching it, I think, the first time when I was in the seventh grade, and I absolutely loved it. And then after I started working here, I picked up the book the first time, and I, it's, it's so fabulous. There are parts of the movie that are word for word, straight from the book, from page to the script. And there's, there's so little taken out from the original book it's the little bits that they did take out. It's not necessary. It the per, the story didn't need it necessarily. Mm-hmm. For example, Scarlett has a child with her first husband. He is such a sad little character in the, in the in the book. I'm like I'm almost kind of glad he didn't exist in the movie because it would just kind of drag the story along. There are whole documentaries about how uh, Selznick, who directed it, mm-hmm. almost tortured these actors oh, and yeah. wrote this script to get it exactly right. And I think he did a fabulous well, job. And not only that, I mean, the money he spent on just making sure that their costumes helped them perform those yes. characters. I mean, they had layers of pantalettes and, yes. and everything. And he's like, you know... And I remember somebody did a review of the movie and, and visited with one of the actors who played... Uh, the second sister 
name is missing. Oh, names are, I'm awful with names. Because Sue Ellen is the name that's coming to me, but I don't think that's right. Anyway, and she said to David, she said, you know, we don't, they're not going to see this on camera. We don't need all these fancy layers. And he's like, you'll know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it'll inform your character. So yeah, yeah. he went all in on this yes. movie in creating it. And I agree with you. As a child, I it was definitely one of my favorites when they released it again in theaters. I took my mom. I loved that they had the intermission in the middle oh, like they used yes. to. Um, that was so much fun. That was, it was delightful. And yet, now... You know, in recent years, as I've gotten older, it's hard to watch. As you alluded to, things that were made then and our sensibilities and our understandings, they don't mesh really and have to acknowledge that and try to reach out to understand more. And so that's what I tend to do. But go ahead. Sorry. I would say the only criticism I have of the, the, the movie itself is that I am sorry, but those are not Southern accents. (laughs) <laughs> Those are not Southern accents. I hear the British in. She has some vowel issues yes. in which her vowels still come out very clean. Yeah, no, I agree with that one. Yeah. And it has, I must say, the cinematography and the, the even score. though we special effects, yes. the score, everything on that is just really impeccable. I mean, you can look at shots on that and just the whole where she's standing in Tara and the the sunset and. Oh, I will never be hungry again. Yes. Oh, that line. Beautiful scene. But it's really the music. Watch that scene without the music and see if it hits you just as hard. And we'll have to save that for another podcast where we talk about iconic movie music and how that elevates what would have been the just a line from the book. So. Or a scene. Or a scene. Oh, gosh, yes. (laughs) The difference between, oh my gosh, that woman's just being sprayed with chocolate, and oh my gosh, she's dying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was our best and worst of books into movies adaptations, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Thanks for Bonnie to sending in her guesses for our book clues last week. These were the clues. Through the darkness, clickety-clack, coming closer down the track. Hold your breath so you can hear huffing, chuffing, drawing near. So our first book was Steam Train, Dream Train by Sherry Desky Rinker. It was published in April 2013. Not only does Steam Train, Dream Train use a lot of wonderful rhymes and rhythm, It also has a lot of onomatopoeia. Now, onomatopoeia is words that sound like what they describe. So in this case of steam train, dream train, when we have huffing, chuffing, and clickety-clack, you're having all those words creating sounds, which creates atmosphere. For our young adult pick, it was beautiful, of course. I couldn't deny that. Everything was green. The trees, their trunks covered with moss, their branches hanging with a canopy of it, the ground covered with ferns. Even the air filtered down greenly through the leaves. It was too green. An alien planet. Now, one of my staff was able to tell me she knew right away which one it was. And I do try to select clues that 
are pretty obvious to the ardent fan of the book, but perhaps a little bit trickier for those that are just the casual reader. This selection was Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. It came out in October of 2005 and is the story of a young woman named Bella who moves to Forks, Washington, who meets a very interesting man named Edward who has his own kind of sparkle. Our last book clue last week was this one. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crust lovers take their life whose misadventures piteous overthrows do with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end naught could remove, is now the two hours' traffic of our stage, the which, if you with patient ears attend, what here shall miss, our toil shall strive to mend. Now, for some of you, you may have had to reach way back into your high school days, or if you remember the movie that came out in the 1990s, that was the opening to Romeo and Juliet. Now, Romeo and Juliet, of course, was one of the many plays written by William Shakespeare. It was written early in his career, and it's about two young Italian star-crossed lovers whose deaths ultimately reconciled their feuding families. The great thing about this play, and I love this particular opening, and actually Shakespeare does this quite a lot, he tells you the entire play in that opening. He tells you what's going to happen. He's going to tell you how it happens and the results of this. And all you get to do is enjoy the show. This week's book clues will start off with our children's book. Now, my dears, said old Mrs. Rabbit one morning, you may go into the fields or down the lane, but don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden. Your father had an accident there. He was put in a pie by Mrs. McGregor. For our young adult book this episode, When I wake up, the other side of the bed is cold. My fingers stretch out, seeking Prim's warmth, but finding only the rough canvas cover of the mattress. She must have had bad dreams and climbed in with our mother. Of course she did. This is the day of the reaping. And our final book clue into the classics we go. On the first Monday of the month of April, 1625, the market town of Mung, in which the author of Romance of the Rose was born, appeared to be in a perfect state of revolution as the Huguenots had just made a second La Rochelle of it. Many citizens, seeing the women flying toward the high street, leaving their children crying at the open doors, hastened to don the cuirass and supporting their somewhat uncertain courage with a musket or a partisan, directed their steps toward the hostelry of the Jolly Miller, before which was gathered, increasing every minute, a compact group, vociferous and full of curiosity. If you think you know one or all of these book clues, be sure to write in to ata at hcpl.net with your guesses. 
We have a lot of great programs coming up. Be sure to join us for Grow with Google speaker Maria Elena Duran on July 28th at 11 a.m. as she shows you how to discover new job opportunities using Google Search and learn how to organize and enhance your job search experience using Google Workspace tools. In this session, they'll discuss best practices for discovering career opportunities using job search on Google, using Google Sheets to track the progress of job applications, creating a resume using Google Docs. So be sure to register through our events calendar in order to receive the link for the online workshop. That's Grow with Google on July 28th at 11 a.m. Hello, Atascacita readers. This is Miss Kimberly, and this month I am hosting The Book Habit. This book club is for our younger readers ages 8 to 12. We will be discussing the semi-autobiographical graphic novel El Defo by C.C. Bell. In this novel, a rabbit version of the author struggles to balance her childhood with her deafness. The story begins when C.C. is just a normal, happy, healthy, four-year-old, but suddenly she loses her hearing due to contracting meningitis. She is really unhappy when she's fitted with a hearing device because she feels like it makes her look different from everybody else. She is sent to a special education classroom where she is placed with other kids with hearing loss, and it allows her to learn how to pick up cues and to learn how to pick up clues on how to read lips. After kindergarten, she moves to a new community and she's integrated into a regular school classroom. She really wants to fit in with the other kids in the neighborhood and at the school. And while most of the kids around her are really friendly, she has a really hard time making friends. Eventually, she is given a phonic ear, which is a really powerful hearing aid that will help her hear her teachers. But Cece soon discovers that she can hear her teacher not just in the classroom, but everywhere, including the bathroom. Cece begins to believe that this phonic ear gives her a superpower. Cece is on her way to becoming El Defo, the listener for all. Can Cece channel her powers into finding the thing that she wants most, a true friend? To join the book habit, you will need to register online. You can do that at our website, hcpl.net. Next, you can use our curbside service or come into the library to pick up a copy of El Defo and grab a craft kit. Our craft this month is based on a craft that the main character creates in the book. If this book isn't for you or you just don't have time to finish the book, that's okay. You are still welcome to join us. We are open to discussing any graphic novel at this particular program. On Monday, July the 26th, we will email you the link to join our Microsoft Teams meeting, and we will begin the discussion at 4 p.m. I hope to see you there. For the younger crowd, we still have our story times online. Tell Me a Tale Tuesday is on August 3rd at 4.15, and Tales for Tots is on August 4th at 10 a.m. Be sure to pick up the kit that goes along with these story times, and that's released on July 29th as supplies last. Now, Tell Me a Tale Tuesday's registration opens this July 27th, and Tales for Tots registration opens July 28th. 
You scream, we all scream for ice cream. Miss Julie is going to share fun and fantastical stories about ice cream during these story times. So be sure to register online so we can get you that link and you can join her for some great stories. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Advanced Copy. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you know the next time a new episode appears. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Find information on media used and resources mentioned on our podcast webpage. This podcast is produced by the staff of Atascacita Branch Library, a part of the Harris County Public Library System. Funds for the podcast are provided by a grant from Best Buy through the Friends of Atascacita Library. Find out more about this 501c3 organization at fol.ws. That's F-O-A-L dot W-S.